Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 550 for the 9th of July, 2017. This week, things start to get complicated when students enter middle school, and even more so as they progress to high school. A student who starts college this fall may have a way to help. XP seems to be the operating system that cannot be thrown off the island. It's no longer thriving, but it is still surviving. In short circuits, have you received an urgent message saying that someone is trying to register your domain in China? There's a good reason to ignore these messages. Research by PwC, formerly Price Waterhouse Coopers in Moscow, rates some of the world's largest cities in terms of their readiness to adapt to new technology. Most of the cities are not in the United States, but the Pacific Rim is well represented. In spare parts, only on the website, technology could save fuel, money, and time for airlines. Destroying some myths about cyberbullying and angry birds seem to be multiplying with abandon. What happens when students start middle school and find the more complicated schedule confusing? How do they deal with changing classrooms several times a day instead of being with one teacher all day? And unlike in elementary school, they may find that teachers don't check homework every day, expecting the students to keep up on their own. It's part of growing up, but some students never quite figure it out. These are the students who will not succeed in school. Then there's Carlos Myers, a student in New York City, who not only learned to cope, but decided to find a way to help other students succeed. Myers will be a college freshman this year, about the time that students in a couple of Brooklyn schools will start using an app he wrote. It's called Forward, F-R-W-D, and although it's aimed at middle schoolers initially, the developer says it should be useful for students well beyond middle school. He began by telling me how the idea of developing an app occurred to him. I would say I got the idea for the application sixth grade middle school I remember that um just because that was like the first time that I was having the first problem uh that was solving the application when I took the initiative to start to solve it it was when I started experiencing that first problem well two of the first problems and that was mainly being I went from this a uh, this public uh elementary school to this private middle school so uh just fifth to sixth grade um, and basically at this school, it was really within the first week where I was able to really identify some of the issues uh, relating to me. Myers realized quickly that the problems he was experiencing weren't unique to him. It was later when either talking with my fellow classmates or um, seeing just being able to see other students in my class that were just experiencing the same issues and uh, problems that I was experiencing. So it was around then where I thought of the idea of an app and mainly the first problem of the app that I wanted to uh, solve. And maybe this was even before I had any intentions of solving any other problems, but it was simply just an academic scheduler, 
just a way for me to be able to uh, see my everyday schedule in a way that made sense and that I could somewhat interact with. And that was pretty much the extent of that at that time. The 17-year-old student developer says there are other organizer and reminder programs, but Forward is unique because it has been designed by a student who had the very problems it's designed to solve. Forward just works in a way which is immediately seen the second that you open the app and start to go into it. You can tell that the app was designed by somebody that actually had these issues. It was actually designed by a student that it was designed to be student-centered. And at the same time, once the app is designed to be student-centered, at the end of the day, it could become centered for every single circle, every single part of the family and academia where problems affect people. For example, for Google Classroom, students are able to look at their classes. They're able to view some assignments, submit assignments, and then from there, maybe those assignments are submitted via Google Docs. Uh, and then off of that, they'll be able to receive their grade. And that's pretty much the extent of that. Meyer says he began working on Forward as an eighth grader, but realized that he needed to expand his skill set. To accomplish that objective, he attended technology camps, participated in Stanford Technology Tutorials Online, sought out business and tech mentors who could teach him various elements of design, creative, and marketing. The result is an app that can be used by individual students, but is far more powerful when a school or a school system chooses to deploy it. Board is sold in these two ways. One is school-driven and the other one being self-driven. So self-driven, meaning that if the student is in a school that does not provide forward, um, they want to take the first step, take the initiative. They believe that they'll be able to see the benefits if they use the app. When a school adopts the system, schedules and assignments are input by teachers so that students have a clear picture of which assignments are due when, what class schedules are, and information about extracurricular activities. Schools can choose one of three tiers. Ford is sold in uh, three tiers. And you'll see that separation of three a lot. Uh, just like the same thing of the organization, homework, and empowerment. And that's starting with the third tier, which is the name foundation. And that's solely organizational features. And then from there, tier two, intermediate, you'll see those organizational features, homework features, and lastly, lifestyle, which is the third tier and the last final tier forward. So there is a fee for each one of those. The students are not charged. The parents are not charged. It's really a deal with the school. The foundation is $9 per student, and that is monthly, and that's 50 students minimum. Then intermediate is 10 per student. And lastly, lifestyle is 12 a student. When the app is released, it'll be available in versions for both Apple and Android devices. Teachers will use a web browser to enter the information. It is for iOS and uh, Android systems. But for this upcoming fall, the only web version of Forward that will be, uh, it will only be for teachers. Um, and that's solely for teachers' capabilities of posting assignments or um, everything that happens and most of what the student sees. Although Myers initially envisioned an application to help middle school students, he says it can help older students too. The app actually is targeted for middle school and high school students, eventually it could expand from there, uh, but we're just staying in that group right now. Carlos Myers is a 17-year-old student who will be in college this fall. His application looks like something school administrators should take a look at. 
Middle school and high school outcomes are better when students are organized. For students who want to be better organized but don't understand quite how to get there, Forward could be the right answer. If you'd like more information, see the Move Forward website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Windows 7 is the most commonly used version of Windows, but Windows 10 is gaining ground. What's odd, though, is that Windows XP just won't lie down and die. XP hasn't been supported for a while now, and 16 years is an enormous lifespan for a version of an operating system. You'll still find XP in banks and in hospitals, and you'll also find it in a brand new British warship. Observers say they spotted XP aboard the HMS Queen Elizabeth, a new British aircraft carrier that cost a little less than $4 billion to build. It's likely that XP is still widely deployed in many military applications. The U.S. Navy, for example, is paying Microsoft $9 million to continue support for XP, Office 2003, Exchange 2003, and Server 2003 until 2018. Threats to XP from malware are most serious when the computer is connected to the Internet, and systems used in military situations typically are not, but malware can still be spread through a network of machines that are not connected to the Internet if it's introduced some other way. One such way would involve the use of an infected thumb drive or an optical disk. And, of course, there was the recent attack that all but shut down Britain's National Health Service for a couple of days because of an infection that spread through XP systems on the network. On the other hand, a more recent malware attack generally just caused XP system to crash without doing any damage, while supposedly more robust Windows 7 computers had far more severe problems. Following last week's program, which was dedicated, unintentionally, almost entirely to malware, I heard from a reader who works with medical equipment. He said that he and his employer have been working on protective and mitigation strategies to counter the wanna-cry infections. One of the most frustrating and difficult issues, he said, has been addressing the vulnerabilities in medical equipment. That's because so many use off-the-shelf hardware and operating systems. Of these, he said, the vast majority are running Windows XP, even though they're only a few years old. Windows 7 systems took the worst hit, he said, while the XP systems simply crashed to a blue screen of death. The systems hadn't been patched, and that raises a couple of issues that are unique to medical equipment. The long life cycle of medical equipment and the difficulty involved with keeping operating systems patched and updated. Office computers are typically replaced every three to five years, but medical imaging equipment has a replacement cycle of 10 to 20 years, some medical equipment that's still in use is running Windows NT4, and he says the most recent operating system is Windows 7. Patching is a problem because extensive testing must be performed, and sometimes regulatory approval is needed before the patches can be applied. That's because applying an untested patch can break the software. The survival of XP machines in the most recent attack seems to have surprised everybody, I wonder why more medical hardware providers didn't choose Linux. 
which seems to have a less jumbled upgrade path from one version to another. There are a few that do use Linux, my correspondent said, and I was very thankful for those. He says he has written to legislators to explain a desperate need for better cybersecurity efforts on the national level. I couldn't agree more. XP is currently still in use by an estimated 1% of Windows systems. Support for XP ended in 2014, but a survey found that more than half of all companies have at least one computer that runs XP. More of these are in Europe than in North America, and XP is still used extensively in China. A survey this year revealed that 3% of devices in hospitals run XP. That's actually an increase from last year's 2%. Now, that could represent a flaw in the survey process itself, or it might indicate that some of the systems that were still running Windows NT were replaced with the more modern Windows XP. The true number is probably quite a bit higher because the researchers examined only computers that are connected to the Internet. Medical devices can be standalone units, or they may be connected only to a facility's internal network that is segregated from the public Internet. Windows 7 is still king of the desktop. Nearly 60% of devices surveyed by Duo Security run that operating system. But Windows 10 is now used on more than 30% of business computers, about double what the company reported last year. The anniversary edition update of Windows 10 and discontinuation of support for Windows 7 is pushing some companies to migrate, and companies in Europe have adopted Windows 10 faster than those in the U.S. In short circuits, if you have registered a domain name like techbiter.com or blim.com, you may have received a message saying that someone is trying to register the name in China. To prevent this, you need to act fast and register it for yourself. Maybe you haven't yet received a message like that, but if you have a domain, you probably will someday. It's a con, of course. If you do business with companies in China, you may well want to register your domain name there. If not, why bother? The approach the scams typically take is to present their offer as trademark protection. The email will claim that another company is attempting to register your trademarked domain with them. The scam email may say that the registrar has delayed the registration as a courtesy to you, but you must act fast. Of course you must. If you reply to the scammer, they'll want you to register the domain for a variety of top-level domains, for your protection, of course. And you'll want to register them for several years with payment up front. The website Hoax Slayer explains it succinctly. The claims in the emails are nothing but lies designed to trick website owners into paying inflated prices to register a series of domain names when there is no compelling reason to do so. The messages are designed to panic recipients into registering the domains in the mistaken belief that some third party is trying to poach their brand or online identity. In reality, the dodgy domain registration companies operating these scams have not received such third party applications at all. The scammers send out virtually the same emails to thousands of site owners. Often, the only difference in the messages is the domain name that the third party is supposedly trying to register. 
see the full explanation on the Hoax Slayer website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The best option is simply to ignore these kinds of messages. Any response at all simply lets the scammer know that the email address is valid and that somebody is reading the messages. A report by accounting firm PwC, formerly PricewaterhouseCoopers, in Moscow rates some of the world's largest cities in terms of their readiness to adapt to new technology. Most of the cities are not in the United States, but the Pacific Rim is very well represented. Singapore is first, Shanghai second, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Sydney are seventh, eighth, and ninth. The only U.S. city on the list is New York in fourth place, one step above Moscow, two steps above Toronto. The report, called The Future is Coming, Cities Readiness Rating, was released this week. It is the result of surveying 1,500 people in 10 major global cities. In addition to the ones I've already mentioned, London, rated second, and Barcelona, listed tenth but shown as a research in progress, were included. The survey examined each city's readiness to adapt to new technology in education, security, healthcare, housing, transportation, and other sectors. The five most tech-ready cities are Singapore, London, Shanghai, New York, and Moscow. Singapore leads the way in smart housing. It's described as the most successful city in relation to the introduction of smart technologies in housing and utility services. Also, Singapore finances the development of new technologies in energy storage. In terms of embracing new tech in daily life, Singapore was the city that stood out, while all of the others, all of them, were mediocre at best. Smart healthcare is one key to the future. The report said the leading position in developing smart healthcare, adopting relevant legislative initiatives, and enabling medical organizations to develop telemedicine services are held by New York and Toronto. Sydney and Barcelona also had good marks there. Telehealthcare entails the use of electronic information and telecommunication technologies to support inpatient and outpatient medical facilities that would improve the accessibility of quality medical services for disabled patients. If you'd like, you can read the full report online at PwC's website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And you'll also find spare parts on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In fact, that's the only place you'll find it. This week, technology could save fuel, money, and time for airlines, destroying some myths about cyberbullying, and angry birds seem to be multiplying with abandon. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.